It's June 20th, 2019, and a sizable shift is about to be announced in the American Olympic and Paralympic landscape. No new teams, no retirement of a star athlete, just one letter. I'd like to introduce Sarah Hirschland. Um, it is time for us to recognize the Paralympic movement in our name and what it says for us is that you know we're going to take another step forward in the growth and awareness and integration of the Paralympics into our family in a meaningful way. The USOC, United States Olympic Committee, is now the USOPC, the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Paralympians are now recognizable as an integral part of the sporting delegation that represents some of the best athletes in the world. But by adding this one letter, P, the USOPC made a profound statement on the importance of equity and inclusion. It's great that we can unite under one organization. I think this is an incredible decision. I think it promotes support and inclusivity for every single athlete um, in this country. It's an amazing day for Paralympic Sport United States. I'm looking forward to inspiring a generation of Paralympians. We've always been one family, and now it's time for the world to see us that way. Today on the podium, celebrating the Paralympic movement and the power of sport to drive social change. From NBC Sports, this is The Podium a podcast about the 2022 Beijing Winter Paralympic Games. I'm your host, Mallory Wegman, bringing to you stories of determination and perseverance, elite athletes that are carving what is possible on ice and snow for all. The opening ceremony of the 2022 Beijing Paralympic Games took place earlier today against the backdrop of these unprecedented global times. Good evening and welcome to the Beijing 2022 Paralympic Winter Games. It was a gathering of athletes from across the globe representing the highest level of athletic competition and the power of sports to unite even in the face of the inescapable reality in our world right now. At the IPC, we aspire to a better and more inclusive world, free from discrimination, free from hate, free from ignorance, and free from conflict. As we prepare for competition to unfold over the coming days, we will take witness to a celebration of diversity and unrelenting athleticism. Your abilities can and will change the world for many millions of people. Above all, have fun and play fair. At the core, difference is not a compromise of the Paralympic movement. It is a strength. Thomas Walsh's story has many facets, as both an able-bodied athlete and now a Paralympic skier. He knows that difference and the uniting factors firsthand. At the end of the day, we compete against each other. However, as disabled and differently abled people, we know the struggles that we have each gone through are much greater. And we know what that's like to live through those struggles. And so we truly support each other in a different way. 
Walsh bashing through Gates. He's going to get inside that one. It's caused a few problems, but across the line he comes. He's inside the top ten. My name is Thomas Walsh. I'm from the United States of America. I compete in Paralympic alpine skiing. Thomas, thanks for being here. We're going to be talking about the growth that has taken place in the Paralympic movement. But before we do, I'd love a little backstory on your relationship with the sport of skiing. Skiing is in my blood. I was born in Vail, Colorado, a small resort town, and ski school was my daycare and the mountain was my playground. Uh, There wasn't a lot to do growing up in my town unless you were involved with the mountain. And so naturally, I grew up there. I started skiing at the age of two in my little backyard here in Avon, Colorado. And then I started skiing on the big mountain in ski school. And then I started competing with Ski and Snowboard Club Vail as a junior athlete. And that's when I really started to get into the idea of racing. And that's kind of when those dreams were born. Um, My first ski club, quote unquote, race coach was Eileen Schifrin. There was a group of us in kindergarten who came together and Eileen was our first coach. And so we all started racing in that, that same age, really. And from there, it just kind of developed. I grew into a junior elite athlete, uh, competing all the way up until my teenage years. And I was on track to have a really successful career, I think. Um, Life changed at that point. I was actually diagnosed with cancer. And so that kind of rocks the boat. I was diagnosed in May of 2009 with stage 3 Ewing sarcoma which is a bone cancer and soft tissue cancer with a primary in my pelvis and metastasis to both of my lungs. I went through a full year of chemotherapies and radiations and surgeries and a a whole lot of stuff, which resulted in the resection of part of my right pelvis, bilateral thoracotomies in my lungs where they removed numerous wedges of of cancer tissues from each side. And then I also had a lot of complications revolving uh, my bladder and some of my right leg, which left me with lymphedema, which is a disease that causes swelling. And so I wear a compression stocking on my right leg at all times. As you navigated through your journey with cancer, how did skiing play a role in that? That whole experience... Was, was quite a journey. However, skiing is really what carried me through that. My love of the sport, I mean, not even my love of racing, but my love of simply being a skier uh, really got me through that difficult time. And then once I finished that whole experience with cancer treatments, I decided to go back to Ski Academy to try and race as an able-bodied athlete uh, to the Green Mountain Valley School in Waitsfield, Vermont. And I knew that it was going to be hard. I knew I was not going to be a great skier. I had to learn how to walk and how to really just be a functioning kid again. And so making that decision was, was challenging. However, getting back into that ski racing attitude really helped me you know, shape into the young human being that I was trying to become. And so I finished there, proved to myself that I was able to ski race again. And then I took a step back and kind of tried to move on with my life. I tried to go to uh, find what else I could do because ski racing was not going to be my main focus. It was a huge part of me being a skier, but not a ski racer. And so I went to art school in Georgia, the Savannah College of Art and Design. 
And then after a year of that, I learned that I was classified to be a disabled athlete, which is something that had never crossed my mind. I had never really heard of Paralympics or heard of what uh, that kind of environment was. But once I learned I was classifiable as a disabled person, as a disabled athlete, I came back, I worked through the ranks for one year, I joined the national team, and I hit the ground running. And so that's been my life for about the past eight years now, racing on the national team, competing at the Paralympics and World Championships, and really having that kind of be my professional career now. And I don't really know what I'd be doing without it. I don't really know why I ever thought that I'd be able to get away. Uh, but here I am. You know, earlier in the season, we did an episode about winter sports schools in Vermont and how well represented they are at the games. Absolutely. The sport of ski racing is very small to begin with, uh, especially within the United States. It's a little bit bigger in Europe, but in the United States, ski racing is a pretty small community. And so in the state of Vermont, which I will tell you is one of the coldest places I've ever skied in my entire life, um, there's quite a few academies like Burke, where actually Michaela went, Green Mountain Valley School, where I went, Stratton Mountain School, just to name a few. And those ski academies have quite a reputation and history for being older and having developed a multitude of well-known, accomplished ski racers. And so having that small community really is, is an honor. And when you meet someone else from a ski academy we share those same experiences of what it's like to grow up at a boarding school environment and away from your family and struggling to become an athlete and a student on your own. So it's a really nice little niche kind of family. You really have developed a remarkable community across the sport, linking both the able-bodied worlds, if you will, with the adaptive ski community. That gives you a unique perspective of being able to link those two worlds how would you describe any difference or parallel? I really like this question because I feel that I am unique in the sense that I've been able to see both sides of, of that spectrum. So growing up as an, you know, an able-bodied athlete, it's a very competitive cutthroat environment. And there's a lot of kind of negativity that comes with the competitiveness. And being a part of that, I was able to see just how cutthroat it is and just how, you know, really kind of gruesome it is. And that can probably be said for a lot of sports. But once I overcame cancer and decided to join this Paralympic team, I was thoroughly surprised to see how supportive and opening and welcoming and, and, and truly caring that athletes were. And now it's not to say that teammates don't support each other on either side, but when I sit at the bottom of the finish line, I cheer on my teammates on the Paralympic side. And I know my teammates are sitting down there truly cheering me on too. At the end of the day, we compete against each other. However, as disabled and differently abled people, we know the struggles that we have each gone through are much greater. And we know what that's like to live through those struggles. And so we truly support each other in a different way. So to answer that question fully, we, we do overlap and we do have a sense of similarity. However, there's a lot that each of our communities that for some reason have been put on two separate islands could get and learn from each other. But talking about that overlap idea, so growing up, I had a lot of dreams to become an Olympic skier and I had a lot of role models like Dan Rawls and Bodie Miller and Stephen Nyman. And I went to a talk that Stephen gave to our school when I was a junior 
you know, a, a kid in middle school and um, growing up ski racing, and I was so starstruck, obviously. But when I was diagnosed, Stephen actually reached out, and that is how we fostered a, a really true lifelong friendship. And I think it's awesome to see that kind of outreach and that kind of mentorship, which could go both ways. It could go from Stephen reaching out to me as an invite athlete, then becoming, you know, a Paralympic athlete, or it could go from a, a veteran Paralympian reaching out to a new Paralympian or, a, a, you know, an up and coming athlete. And so I really just want to commend that because Stephen truly has helped me become the athlete that I am today. And I seek his advice weekly over things because he's been around for so long. So that kind of community and that overlap is something that needs to be acknowledged. It most certainly does. And and it goes to that notion that we as athletes all have a duty to do our part to leave our respective sports better than we found them by repaying our mentors in a way, by becoming mentors ourselves. As we see the Olympic and Paralympic worlds continue to collide, have you noticed a shift in the cohesion of athletes? I think it's overall positive vibes. Watching a sit skier ski down the hill is inspiring to anybody. Watching the fastest ski racer ski down the hill is also inspiring to anybody. However, you put those two side by side, I guarantee you, everybody will look at the sit skier first, simply because it looks different. It looks foreign. It's a new thing for them to see. And that's what makes it interesting. And that's the kind of energy that I think everybody needs to feed off of, is that it's different, yet that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing that we're observing this and seeing this. So I know that my friends like Stephen Nyman and Michaela Schifrin and even Stacey Cook in the day, they loved seeing us out on the hill and watching these new sit skiers come down the slope and seeing what they were doing. Because that's something that they had not observed as much as I have as a part of that team. And so I think it's a positive thing. I can't speak for everybody's opinions, but I know that the equal resources is also greatly appreciated by the Paralympic athletes. With the name change that occurred in 2019 of the USOC becoming the USOPC, do you think that's a step towards a more unified community in elite athletics? I think that was a really great move of the USOPC. I will speak honestly that I think it was long overdue. However, I'm very happy that it happened. And I think a lot of athletes are happy that it happened. The fact that athletes are now paid the same for performances with Operation Gold is amazing. And my only question is why didn't it happen earlier? But with this change that has happened, it's amazing to see the representation of disabled athletes and disabled people more alongside able-bodied athletes. Um, and I think we're still learning as a community. It's really cool to, to go into the Olympic training centers and to see the elevation of Paralympic athletes to the same level. It's kind of strange sometimes to see them at the forefront now, uh, but I love it and it's great. And I think the able-bodied community loves it too because they're learning about athletes and sports that they might not have ever heard of, even though they're a part of that community. So I, I think it's an overall very positive thing. And as this whole global climate of diversity and acceptance and change has, has come through, there's no better place to start than with sport. Thomas Walsh, we're talking about the Olympic and Paralympic communities uniting into one based on the pursuit of sports. 
you have some close friendships that span across this USOPC sphere. Amongst others, your prom date, Michaela Schifrin. It's not every day or every person can say that you have grown up with one of the greatest of a said sport in the entire world. And people would like to debate this and argue this to the ground, but I'm sorry. Fact is, Michaela Schifrin is the greatest skier of all time so far. And growing up with her, being in her first ski group, observing her process, I can fundamentally say that we knew Michaela was going to make it back then. We knew something great was going to happen. And so being able to follow that process and see how she went about it and the support of her family and how that whole story evolved and shaped has been inspiring to me in so many ways and to so many people around her like that. I have a true friend in Michaela, personally, confidentially, and it's amazing to know that I have someone to lean on and she does with me as well. One slalom gold four years ago and giant slalom gold for Michaela Schifrin and Pyeongchang. Now watching her succeed is one thing. I was very honored to be there to watch her win her medal. It was it was a jaw-dropping experience. And it's almost gutting to hear and listen to what people have written and said about this past games because that is a part of our sport. Michaela is an awesome person and a nice person and a very well outspoken individual in expressing her emotions and feelings regarding media and people's opinions of her. So I just feel for her. I just truly feel for her. I think she has remained composed and expressed as positive as she could her, her mentality and experiences of that. And I think that people just need to realize that athletes are humans. And if she didn't perform, she didn't perform. That's okay. It happens. Athletes can't win everything. You, you physically cannot win everything. And so I'm there to support her. And I think she's skiing great. And she had a good year. And I'm just looking forward to the future to see her. So having that friendship is, is truly meaningful. Um, I'm ranting now. I'm just talking. <laughs> no, but you know, Thomas, you're you're so right. You you can't win everything. But at the end of the day, sometimes success and our biggest moments of success aren't when we win. They're about how we react and respond to those situations. And obviously, outside criticism, especially online, that's unfortunately a binding element between all athletes, something that you aren't spared of either. I am an athlete on the Paralympic circuit who looks quote-unquote normal, or to say not disabled. I ski with two skis. I ski with two poles. I look just like everybody else, except one leg, if you really look at it, happens to be a little bit bigger than the other. Other than that, I look pretty normal. And I think that when people see me skiing, and even on the chairlifts, they'll say, well, you know, what's wrong with you? What's your disability? And I think I really want to be an advocate for not only the things I've experienced like cancer or lymphedema in my leg, but I want to be a testament to the fact that not all disabilities are visual, are visible, and everybody has their own struggles. Because I don't sit in a sit-ski and I'm not missing a limb. And so therefore people automatically think I'm okay. But everybody has their own challenges. Everybody has their own struggles. And so I actually enjoy the fact that people question why I'm in that Stargate, why I'm wearing that, why I'm competing in Paralympics. Even on my Instagram today, someone commented, why are you competing in the Paralympics and not the Olympics? And, and 
rather than get into it, I just want them to learn, to look, to investigate. And so when they see me in the start gate, I want them to feel that they are able to achieve anything they want to, because I was just a cancer kid who overcame that, and I'm here now. And so I really want to inspire people to accomplish things that they never thought possible and to stick with their dreams. And that's the power of the Paralympic movement is we have this opportunity where we're able to educate, but we're also able to empower people to realize their full potential within. And it it certainly is an important conversation and one that is a reminder that not all disabilities look the same. That is the beauty of the Paralympic movement. It highlights athleticism while showing the diversity within the disability community. Now, as the Olympics took place, did you drive inspiration from watching your Olympic counterparts in Beijing as you entered into your final preparations for the Paralympic Games? Yeah, I obviously have been glued to, uh, you know, the TV and the live streams and the replays of all the events. And the conditions over there are crazy. I actually had a very brief conversation with RCS, um, Brian Cochran Siegel, you know, just, just a simple congratulations. And he wrote back, thanks. Can't wait to see you there in a couple of weeks. The snow has been super nice. And the train is also fun to ski uh, when you find the flow. So uh, having those little dialogues back and forth and applauding athletes' successes and struggles and hearing how it's going is, is awesome to know that we can reach out to each other and support each other from afar. A reality of, of these games, much like it was for our Olympic athletes in Beijing and, and those in Tokyo, is that we're navigating through a world that is still in the midst of a pandemic. You yourself are dealing with the realities that COVID presents. Where are you now? I am on about day six of testing positive here. Um, and I will be honest with you, it has been a major stressor. I understand that all these protocols are set in place for our safety and for everybody's well-being. It is definitely a very new aspect to this Olympic Games and Paralympic Games. And so dealing with that has been very difficult. And sitting here having to to wonder if I'm even going to be able to compete or if I'm going to be able to participate in all my events has been really rough. Um, I'm very fortunate to have the support around me from the USOPC for mental health and mental performance coaches. Um, so, so slowly getting through that. Uh, but I know everybody's in new waters and everybody's going through this process kind of for the first time for themselves. So hopefully it works out. I, I need to get some two negative tests before I'm able to go to processing or to go over to China and then hopefully remain healthy and, stay great there. Uh, it's, a, it's a little unfortunate because I am actually even a boosted individual. I've had three vaccines and I still managed to get the Rona somewhere. I don't know where yet. But uh, nonetheless, I think all I can do and other athletes in my position can do and have done is focus on what we've done to prepare for our sport, what we've done to prepare for our events, and try and get through these struggles with as minimal stress and side effects to our potential performance. You know, as you, you talk about just the circumstance that you're you're facing right now, it, it kind of brings up this conversation of just the the resilience and ability to pivot and adapt within the Paralympic movement and Paralympic athletes in particular. 
Do you think Paralympians, by the very nature of their their practice of sport and some of the circumstances that they've overcome are particularly well suited to deal with obstacles like this? I'm going to say absolutely. We definitely have more adaptability because we are adaptive athletes. See what I did there? Um, I went through cancer treatments as a teenager and I had to understand the idea of my place in the universe and my whole idea of mortality and all this stuff. And it's a whole big conversation. However, in working through this with my mental coaches and everything, understanding that I've had to deal with that struggle really makes me put this whole COVID thing kind of to the wayside because I'm really upset that I, I'm not able to go through the normal process of getting to the Paralympics. However, I'm not on a hospital bed. I'm not in pain. I'm not sick. And so feeling blessed like that has, has helped carry me through. Yes, I'm a little upset. I'm really upset. But I know that I'm going to be okay. And I know that everything will work out somehow. And all I got to keep doing is drinking a lot of water and doing my little negativity dance to get those negative tests. It goes to show that the organization is doing great things and making great strides to put Olympians and Paralympians on the same level, on the same platform. Such a big day for the Paralympic movement and giving really the recognition that the U.S. Paralympic athletes um, deserve. But it's more than just the name change. It's the fact that Team USA fully is including and supporting and recognizing the U.S. Paralympic team as one, as one whole Team USA. And it's just huge for the next generation of athletes to come. Team USA athletes are now truly united. And it is so exciting to be a part of such an inclusive movement that the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee is now doing. This is such exciting news because out of the 15 years that I've been involved with the Paralympics, it's always been separate names. And so it's finally really exciting that we're, we're joining as one. Go Team USA. Go Team USA. Go USA. Go USA. Go Team USA. As was the case in Tokyo, these games here in Beijing are no exception when it comes to the dynamic of competing during a global pandemic. Since recording our interview with Thomas, we have been notified that he did in fact make his way to Beijing. Thomas, if you are listening, we wish you all the best. Today, as athletes from around the world marched in the Parade of Nations for the opening ceremony of the 2022 Winter Paralympic Games, we saw the power that sport has to unify. And throughout these games, we will take witness to the remarkable feats that not only will inspire a generation to come, but shine a light on the power of the human spirit. Follow the podium now to get automatic downloads and tune into the networks of NBC to watch every moment of the 2022 Beijing Winter Paralympic Games.